there, I'm Anna. And I'm Anton. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Scalpel. Today we'll be interviewing doctor-turned-author Nick Earls. Thank you for joining us. It's great to be here. Good to, good to meet you both. Nick Earls has written almost 30 books now, um, including novels, short stories, and novellas, and has had two of his novels uh, turned into feature films as well, and he's received multiple awards for his works. Just to start off with, would you mind telling us a little bit about your background? <clears throat> well, I was uh, born in Northern Ireland a long time ago, and uh, then at a time of conflict there, my parents decided we should... Uh, try our luck somewhere else and that saw us migrate to Brisbane. Uh, so I went to school in Brisbane and then uh, did medicine at UQ and um, <clears throat> did my residency at Greenslopes Hospital, which was then a repat hospital in Brisbane. And uh, then I was a, a GP at Turinga, part-time GP at Turinga and in a few other places in Brisbane while writing part of the time as well. and. Uh, I guess I thought that was <coughs> that was where I'd end up. I, I, I thought that I would, like my mother and like her father, work in medicine part-time and do other things the rest of the time. And I, so I thought I'd be a GP half-time. I might have done psychiatry. Um, that, would, that was my, the other thing I was thinking of. So it would have been one of those two things, uh, half-time and then writing half-time and, um, and eventually... Um, Surprisingly, writing actually took over. Um, I things things move much faster than I thought they would, and I faced the choice of either writing less and slowing that career down, or uh, or giving it a shot, seeing if it could become a full time thing. And that's what I did. So you obviously have two passions in life. I guess you had medicine, and then you have writing. Why did you choose medicine initially? Uh, I chose medicine initially because uh, everyone I every kind of role model or authority figure or breathing human that I bumped into said, don't ever expect to make a living out of writing. Uh, so there was a lot of encouragement to uh, make a sensible choice. And um, medicine sounded really interesting. Uh, I had my mother's stories, her stories as a med student and as a doctor uh, in the casualty at uh, PA Hospital in Brisbane. Uh, but she made being a med student sound like fun as well. Uh, and my grandfather's stories about medicine. So medicine seemed really interesting. And I thought if writing is so against the odds that it's likely never to work out, well, here's something that, you know, if I, if I put my mind to it, should be able to work out and looks like something really interesting anyway. So uh, the most likely thing that was going to happen was that medicine would be my full-time career uh, and I wouldn't have been unhappy about that um, but in the background I was always writing things and just hoping something might come from that. <clears throat> I can remember when I was in about year 10 at school I saw Morris West who was uh, a really successful Australian novelist uh, of the time interviewed on TV and in the interview he said really only about half a dozen Australians make a living writing fiction and I took him literally. I thought there were six spots uh, and I thought someone would, was going to have to die for me to get a spot. So I thought the odds were really against that. And when you think about it, 
David Maloof and Tom Keneally probably had two of those spots and they're still in the game. <laughs> so the spots don't come up very often. Um, and, and it is actually um, complete coincidence that, uh, that I got one of those full-time spots the year that Morris West died. Um, nothing to do with me. Uh, but, um, but it turns out there are more than six spots. So um, maybe things have changed a bit since the late 70s. Uh, but um, more people can find ways of making a living through writing than uh, than was once the case. Um, but I guess I didn't expect to be one of them. And um, also when I was finishing school in 1980, there wasn't any obvious course I could do that was going to make me mm. a novelist. There are far more creative writing courses around now. But at the same time, I kind of had a lot to learn. I had a lot to learn about life I had a lot of living I needed to do and I had a lot to learn about writing so I, I learned the writing stuff very slowly I wrote a lot of terrible stuff in the late 80s and early 90s but <clears throat> eventually eventually I just through continuing to try different things um, something fell into place and I finally wrote something that people wanted to read and uh, you know that's the best way to change your luck as a writer really so it kind of sounds like uh, medicine was a bit of a, in your mind, the more likely option um, for a career coming out of school. And then I suppose maybe the decision to do GP was about pursuing that writing interest concurrently alongside yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very much it. Because so what I did was in my second year as a resident at Greenslopes, <coughs> I, um, I did a psych term in the first year. I was really interested in psychiatry. Um, so I lined up for more psych terms in second year and did some time as an acting registrar in psychiatry and uh, and I thought if I maybe this is what I'm going to pursue but by complete coincidence I got the chance to do some paid writing work uh I can remember uh, a friend of mine who I'd gone to school with and who had started medicine with me but who'd veered off and gone and done music instead he um he dropped out <laughs> He dropped out after getting 13% for anatomy in second year. Oh, no. uh, and uh, when they showed us the results, they showed us the, 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 the bell curve with our results on it. And he was like such an outlier. They said like, you know, a random number generator would have got 25, but he somehow managed to get 13. Anyway, not, it wasn't for him. So he went off to do music and um, he knew I wanted to write things. And uh, then while I was a resident at Greenslopes, he contacted me to say that he was working with a show producer and, um, you know, didn't want to have coffee someday. So I went and had coffee with this show producer and my friend and the show producer said, you know, he'd just done some show at SeaWorld and now they wanted a, a song for Lassiter's Lost Mine Ride, a ride they were about to build at SeaWorld and, you know, how is he going to do that? And he could do the music bit of it. And I said, well, you know, surely that wouldn't be too hard. It's like a mining song. It's all, you know, picks and shovels and it's six, eight <laughs> time. And, uh, and he went, okay, do you want to write the lyrics? And I had no idea what I was talking about. Um, but I said, yes, you know, of course I want to write the lyrics. So I had a week to write the lyrics and I wrote them uh, and then met him at his place again. In the meantime, he'd been thinking of a melody. And I thought this is where it all just collapses because obviously there'll be no similarity between my lyrics and his melody and he played his melody and put my lyrics down and could sing most of them to his melody and they just happened to fit so he said okay let's go with this and we fine-tuned it and then went into the recording studio to record it so I got to go to 
what was then the leading commercial recording studio in town and watched this song I'd written get recorded uh, and I was getting paid money for it. And then the producer, and I lived just down the down the road, so I lived like a five-minute walk from this recording studio. And the producer turned around and he said, who wrote these lyrics? And then everyone pointed to me and he said, do you want to write some lyrics for uh, for jingles, for ads? And I went, sure. And, you know, I live down the street, so, like, I'm just a few doors down. So uh, so I would be going to Greensopes Hospital, being a resident during the day and getting paid the equivalent, getting paid about $100 a day to be a resident. We got $25,000 a year then. So I was earning $100 a day for medicine. And then some evenings I'd get a, I'd get a call uh, at home to walk down the road to the recording studio and write a few lines for an ad jingle, get paid twice what I got paid in medicine, plus free pizza, plus samples of the product that we were writing the ad for. Uh, and um, I wasn't expecting that at all. So then in my second year, I was getting to do more of this commercial writing. It wasn't where I wanted to end up, but it was it was a weird experience uh, and it kept paying me money. So I got to write things like um, a show for the openings of the Mirage Resorts for Christopher Scase, the entrepreneur uh, in the 80s, and got to be part of that and watch him fly in D-grade celebrities from Hollywood uh, and pretend to be rich for a while. And uh, But I got paid, so that was all right. Um, so I thought, I don't want to stop this just now to train in a medical specialty, which is what I thought I'd probably have to do. So I went and I saw the head of psych services uh, at Queensland Health and I saw the professor of psychiatry at UQ and I said, look, psychiatry is a real interest of mine in medicine uh, and, uh, and I, I don't want to shut the door on that, but uh, I also want to write and people are paying me money to do it now and I'd like to give that a shot. If I give that a shot, can I come back? Uh, and both of them were really enthusiastic about that. If I'd been trying to become, say, an orthopedic surgeon, uh, I would have been dead to them in that instant. Yeah. Uh, they they would have said, well, uh, we've got people far more interested than you then, so don't call us. Whereas the psychiatrist said, um, actually, you'll be better to better if you as a psychiatrist, if you go out, spend a few years in general practice anyway, uh, and do what you're going to do and then come back. Because right now, you know, you're you're on you could end up being the youngest psychiatrist in Queensland but we'd rather you had some life experience mm-hmm. so go and get the life experience and the practice experience and uh, and the doors open if you want to come back so feeling like I wasn't burning a bridge is what kind of allowed me to make the move so I made the move into commercial writing like that uh, and got a few years out of that while being a, a GP um, half-time and uh, then when the recession came in the early 90s and all the studios worked out that the freelance lyricist was the person that they could let go and they could write their own lyrics, um, by then I was on to writing more fiction and pursuing that and, uh, and eventually I got a break with that. So do you think if your career had stayed the same with commercial writing, would you have stayed part-time GP? I might well, yeah. Um, I'm, in a way, I... <clears throat> I mean, I think, I think that recession that 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 cost me my freelance writing gigs um, probably made me probably put me back on the track I'd meant I'd intended to be on with the writing in the first place. Um, if that hadn't happened, though, it was a bit hard to resist the opportunities that were 
around because um, they were pretty good, even though it wasn't the writing that I was most passionate about doing. It's kind of hard to say no when people are, well, I found it hard to say no then when people were offering me good money and interesting opportunities. It's still mm. a chance to test yourself out as a writer. So um, if that recession hadn't come along, uh, I might well have stayed with the kind of mixture of things that I had. It was only <clears throat> when um, I'd had, so I had I had a book published here in 1992 that no one bought, so that didn't change my life. Uh, but then in 1996, I had a young adult novel called After January published, and then later that year, I had Zigzag Street published. And then when Zigzag Street came out two years later in the UK, and my next novel, Bachelor Kisses, came out uh, in Australia, suddenly I had to do back-to-back book tours of those two countries. Oh, wow. And, and that was three months of travel. Uh, and I was at that stage, I'd moved on to a part-time job editing a section of a medical magazine. Um, that was um, um, Medical Observer. It was a GP's fortnightly magazine. I was the continuing medical education editor for that because of my GP experience. So I was doing that. That was a really good part-time job that I could fit around the writing that I was doing. But then suddenly I had three months of touring to promote two different books in different countries. Uh, And it was really hard to get ahead with the magazine job. And I found myself editing page proofs on the flight between (laughs) Brisbane and London and then checking into my London hotel and calling the office in Sydney with the changes to the page proofs and it was just really it was just too much and and I I was a couple of months into that when I spoke to my literary agent and to my publicist uh and uh uh and I said look I'm finding it really hard to fit in this medical editing job now and a year before or so they'd both been very much of the don't give up the day job school and this this medical thing you've got going for you is really useful because you know you get well paid to do something that's that's interesting anyway uh and uh, don't expect to make a living out of writing but then a year had passed and then each of them when I said I'm finding it hard to fit in this um, medical editing job they both said yeah don't know why you're still doing that <laughs> you could have told me like you know when that time came but anyway so that's when I stopped doing that and uh, and writing became a full-time thing so it sounds like you had a series of uh almost side gigs um that you know piqued your interest and you got to engage in your writing and get paid for it obviously that kept you going with it alongside your medical career. But then once things kind of snowballed out of control with these, with Zigzag Street and Bachelor Kisses, that's when it became a bit hard to um, continue juggling both. And I guess that's kind of that's kind of my next question. A lot of med students, I think, lead very, very busy lives and some find it difficult trying to manage their hobbies with their um, medical studies and with their career. What advice do you think you would have for people who, I guess, don't want to give up their hobbies but also want to stay on the career path? Yeah, so I think there are going to be some times in that process where um, the the non-medical interest necessarily takes a back seat in terms of how much of your time it occupies. <clears throat> and I found that when I was doing the medical degree. I mean, I did some writing while I was doing my degree, um, but it wasn't an easy thing to, uh, to fit in. Uh, and then... I think one of the things about medicine is once you're through all the training, there are, there are ways of constructing the job 
whatever area you go into. Uh, there are ways that you can do it for 20 or 30 hours a week. Uh, I know a number of people who do that, who do a mixture and in a range of specialties, who do a mixture of public and private practice and put together a really interesting job that's very rewarding, but that also leaves them time for other things. So in the long term, um, as I had seen with my mother and with my grandfather, uh, it offers a lot of potential for, um, for kind of dividing your time uh, between different things. At the time when you're actually studying to get the degree and studying to get postgraduate qualifications, it is harder. But what I would find when I was, when I was at, at uni doing the degree and, um, and a thing that I've talked about with quite a lot of other people is that, say, with something like writing, the, the, the great thing about that is you can do it independently. Um, it's not as though you need um, 50 people and a budget of a million dollars to create anything. It's, it's in your own head. And if people, if people want to write something, I think the key to it is to be able to book some writing time in your diary uh, during a holiday or something like that. But when it comes along, treat it seriously. Make sure it is the writing time uh, and prepare for it so that when you get there, you're ready to hit the ground running. And if you're, if you're heading to, from home to uni uh, on public transport or whatever, that's a period of time when you can either um, play around on your phone uh, or uh, if you're planning a story, give that 10 minutes of thought. Think about a specific story thing, write it down, don't lose it, add it to your notes, and your pile of notes gets bigger and your preparedness for when you've got that time blocked out in your diary to actually create something uh, is much more advanced so that when you sit down to do the writing, you do the writing. And this is one of the things that when I was being a part-time GP, uh, I was determined to do. I was determined that the times when I wasn't in the clinic working, I wouldn't be sitting at home with a packet of Tim Tams in front of daytime TV, uh, that I would actually be using that time productively. So I think uh, while some days are frustrating and you don't get to fit in the creative thing or the other thing that you want to do, I think if you can take a slightly longer term view, book time in the diary when you can do it, make sure you treat that uh, as the same level of commitment as anything else that you put in your diary, uh, and make sure that when you arrive at that moment, you're ready to go and get the most out of that time that you've allocated. And that way you can keep things progressing and keep seeing that you're making some kind of progress. Sounds like you've got some good strategies already, I guess, organised in your head to help juggle all those commitments. Have you found that there are many ways that medical training has, I guess, helped your writing career in the ways you write? Yes. Yes, I have. <clears throat> so there's a couple of ways that really stand out to me. Um, one is that in medicine, in medical practice, you're highly likely to meet a broad range of people, um, to see them as to the people you see as patients particularly. Um, they'll come from a whole range of different bits of life. And in your... My, what I found when I was when I was working as a GP was that my social life was a lot narrower uh, than my work life. Um, so it exposes you to people who aren't like you as well as people who are like you. Uh, and it exposes you to those people at times when they have 
um, particular needs and have a story that you need to hear. And what I learned from my patients in general practice by concentrating on them and how they were telling me their stories so that I would be a better history taker, I learned a lot more about how people think about their own lives and how people put their own stories together, uh, not just their answers to the medical questions. So it gave me insights into the workings of people who aren't like me. And that's really useful because I don't want every character I write to be like me. Uh, I mean, I'm borrowing from me quite a bit for quite a few of the central characters, but I need to be able to write people who aren't like that as well. And um, medicine gave me the experience of thousands of personal conversations with mm. people who aren't like me. And that's a really useful thing for a novelist. So that's one thing. The other thing uh, is a kind of uh, diagnostic approach to problem solve, uh, where you learn how to take a history, do an examination. You learn how to assess uh, the data that you've accumulated from doing that, come up with uh, a differential uh, provisional diagnosis and a differential diagnosis and work out what you'll do to take it further it turns out that that way of thinking can actually be applied to a whole lot of other things uh, and that when I was outlining a story because I do a lot of planning before I write when I was outlining a story I would find you know some significant plot problem there and I realized I was taking a kind of diagnostic approach to solving problems in plots I was kind of taking the history doing the examination coming up with a provisional diagnosis, but also a differential diagnosis, working out how to test that out so that I could work out exactly what the problem was. So I think the problem-solving skills I learned in medicine uh, have been really valuable in my writing. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Behind the Scalpel. See you next time, either on our next episode or at one of Sergio's upcoming events.